guys, welcome back to another episode of the Man with the Plan podcast. Whoever is listening, thank you for tuning in. Once again, this is our first time face-to-face, just you and me and not me talking to one of our writers. If you haven't checked out our Clemson football preview series, we wrapped that up about a little over a week ago with Alan Cole with South Carolina. The episodes have done so, so well. The series has done unbelievable. And guys, thank you. Thank you so much for 25,000 total listeners. That's a crazy number. I've alluded to it on my social medias. I started this podcast in the attic, and I think I'll continue to use this word of gratitude, and we'll talk about that word and how it applies to Clemson football just in a minute here. But I'm super thankful for every comment. Like, even if you don't like the episode, I'm so thankful. If you think it's a waste of time, if you think it's this or that, you tuning in means the world, and each comment helps me get better along the way. I'm always all ears and I want to be a sponge and soak up as much knowledge as possible. You guys have made that a reality for me. And so I just want to thank you as always, as we continue on this journey, nearly three years coming in December of 2023. It's going to be crazy. Only months away from that anniversary of when I started taking this seriously. If you want to put it in that context, but what are we going to talk about today? There's a lot on the docket. (laughs) We got Clemson football. Football camp started on Friday. I'll give you my impressions with three simple words. We'll get into that in a bit. We'll talk about the fever dream that is conference realignment with college football. And my thoughts, maybe positives and negatives. It feels like a scramble brain type situation. And so do I when I think about it. And then I'll give some storylines heading into the NFL preseason that I'm really excited about. There's a lot to talk about. It feels like finally... There's not this gap of from the NBA Finals to now where there's not much going on. Yeah, you could talk about the World Cup. You could talk about this. You could talk about that. But I know with my audience, you guys love some football, and we're talking about it all today. So Clemson football just kicked off there. No pun intended there. Kicked off their fall camp on Friday. We've had about two days of open media practices, which means we get to see about five to six tempo periods, which are about five minutes apiece. We get to see an individual drill. We get to see 11 on 11s. We get to see a lot of really cool stuff. And I think that it's awesome that I get to experience all that uh, through this and Tiger Illustrated, which you go definitely check out. Never a better time to subscribe there as well. So what did I see? What are my impressions? I'm going to give you three words that I think best summarize the last couple days with Clemson football and how it pertains to the season. My first word is gratitude. And I think that you got this. We got to talk to, so far, six players. We got to talk to Ruka Roro. We got to talk to Xavier Thomas, Bo Collins. We got to talk to Barrett Carter, Will Shipley. We've had a lot of great conversations with a lot of people. Um, But I think gratitude's where you start. Guys like Marcus Tate, who had a really nasty knee injury. He talked about how his kneecap popped out and rolled back in towards MCL and how his process was really, while it was tough, It gave him an opportunity to have a new perspective on football, that appreciation. I think when you look at the last couple of years for Clemson, and this really speaks to our fan base or the fan base as well, is that you have a stretch where from 2015 to 2020, it felt like Clemson was a shoe in for the college football playoff. If they weren't in it, it was a grand disaster just based on the standard that's been set. And so I think these last couple of years have taught us, and I've talked to this with Larry Williams on Tiger Illustrated. I've talked about it on my podcast myself several times, is that gratitude is often really important for perspective. 
is where you have the right storm of everything coming together. You have years like 2021 and 2022 where they lost six times in two seasons where they only lost seven times in a seven-year stretch, seven-season stretch where it was just unbelievable. Not two national championships, four appearances in the title game. Arguably, you're a Joe Burrowless away from the third. You're a Kenyon Drake kickoff return from another one. There's a lot of ifs in that situation, but the success that Clemson had was unparalleled. And so when you reach a little bit of that roadblock, it gives you perspective. And I think for some of these players, when they go through that personal journey, there is that gratitude and perspective that they've been able to obtain. That goes for Marcus Tate. That goes for Xavier Thomas, who has faced an enormous amount of adversity. It feels like every time he takes a step forward, the world gives him a punch that makes him go three steps backwards. And this year, it feels like the sixth time, sixth year maybe the charm. He had so many flashes, and he told us that this is the first time he's felt 100% healthy since 2019. Can you imagine that feeling for a long time? I'm not going to try to do the math there. And someone's probably laughing like, ah, you just got to multiply 365 by three. I'm not going to try to do that on this podcast. I'm not a mathematician, and I'm not going to give it a wrong answer because someone will call me out for it. But Xavier Thomas unbelievable story hoping that not even from like a Clemson I want to see Clemson succeed perspective I just want to see the guy play and play to his capability we've seen him have a three set six snap game at Boston College where he was able to take home ACC defensive player of the week we've seen flashes of his potential it's all about whether he can stay on the field in those two conversations I felt gratitude was an important word for this team another one is tempo and when you talk to guys like Will Cop Bo Collins, Will Shipley, you get to hear that. And Marcus Tate, tempo is going to be a big part of this team. I have a quote from Marcus Tate here. When we were moving, no one could stop us. We were kicking butt with uh, with our tempo. And you guys saw it last year in flashes with the Streeter offense is when Uyunglele and company were moving or Klubnik and company were moving. The offense was able to catch defenses off guard. There was a speed. There was a creativity to it. And I think that's what Riley is trying to pick up on them. We remember the old days with uh, past offensive coordinators, Watson, Lawrence, Kelly Bryant, when the offense moves and they're able to push the attack, be able to be the force instead of being forced, you can see an offense that's living up to its full potential. So I think tempo in terms of how we're going to see this offense move, how we're going to see them operate, we, they want to create matchup problems. They want to be efficient on every down they want to be creative on every down that's what I've seen not necessarily an urgency from this offense but a real push to be physical a real push to be fast a real push to be quick I've been really impressed with it so far we've seen it in tempo drills everybody's moving constantly it's like snapping the fingers constantly I remember in high school football we had to be conditioned we had to be the best because we only had 18 guys on our roster so part of our practice strategy was moving constantly so we're used to that constant just movement of the body. So in that situation, when you only have 18 guys, you're not slowing down. Now Clemson has an embarrassment of riches of bodies to be able to use, but within what they want to do on offense, they need to be constantly moving. And I think that's something that they've emphasized in the coming days and just to kick off camp. Another word was excitement guys. I don't want to be drinking too much of the Kool-Aid here. The air, the buzz in the air just feels a little bit different. It's really, and I don't want to sound homerish fanboy it just feels like there's a different there's a different tone that's been set and maybe you point to Garrett Riley being hired maybe it's a change at quarterback maybe it's this maybe it's that 
but I think the excitement that's been in the air, I talked about it with Faxon on the Roar earlier today. I don't want to be this guy that's guilty of be getting caught up and swept in the excitement, but you can see it in the players, the way they carry themselves in the stretch lines, the handshakes that they continue to do has a little more of that oomph to it, if you get what I mean. So gratitude, tempo, excitement. These players, like the fans, are feeling a sense of gratitude. It's almost like they're having a little mini retrospective on the last decade of Clemson football. Uh, Tempo, this offense is going to move. It's going to be fast. We've seen that already from Riley's offense and these tempo drills that we've seen. And excitement, there's a buzz in the air, and the players feel it too. I I really can't wait, honestly, for this team to take the field in Durham just because there's been a lot of change with this team, and there's been a lot of eyes on this team with Davo Sweeney and company. I really am looking forward, and I use the really looking forward, really looking excited thing, and I know someone out there is going to be rolling their eyes, but I think I'm a fan of good football, and I think if you're a Clemson fan, you're used to a certain product, and we talked about perspective earlier, but it feels like they've made all the right moves. They've put all the puzzle pieces back in place. There's not any missing puzzle piece under the couch that you're trying to find, so you complete the set. It feels like they've done all the right things, and now you just want to see that materialize. Even if you're not a Clemson fan, maybe if you're a South Carolina fan, you feel a little differently. But you want to see that materialize on the field. You want to see teams that are rewarded for the right decisions. We saw Alabama being rewarded for the right decisions for so many years. Georgia running things the right way with Kirby Smart, whatever you want to say about him, he gets things done. He gets results. They run a program a certain way. They run it the right way. You see LSU with Brian Kelly. They turn things around in one year. They're able to make headlines, beat Alabama in year one. You're starting to see that, and Clemson was really on the fence on whether they wanted to be a 10-win program that is happy with just ACC championships or a program that goes to the playoffs every year, and I think this was an important year for Dabo. Was the, were the last two years a bug or a feature? We're going to find out pretty soon. Okay, time to move to the fever dream. <laughs> and I think after this segment, we're going to take a short break so we can talk about the NFL preseason. But I think this last week has been unbelievably wild. And I just want to start by reading a tweet that I think just summarizes everything that's just crazy about conference realignment. Uh, This is from Brent McMurphy of the Action Network that, quote, the ACC is considering adding California, Stanford, and SMU, or just Cal and Stanford, sources told the Action Network. That's where he uh, works. The first report was by Ross Dellinger. And that he goes into some numbers about exit fees with SMU. And he says, in May, an ACC ACC source told the Action Network League that the league had no interest in expanding. Quote, we already have way too many mouths to feed, close quote, unquote. Source said in May. And then today, quote, obviously a lot has happened in the last few months, end quote. You see what I'm doing? (laughs) You see what's happening? The ACC, the Atlantic, let me let me rephrase that. Let me say that again. The Atlantic Coastal Conference wants to add California or is looking to add California Stanford. And by the time I finish this podcast or at least tomorrow, it could be a reality. There's been so much movement within the college football. And I think since the NIL, we've understood that college football is going to continue to change. We've already seen a potential. We've already seen a change with this four team format with the college football playoff being transformed into a 12 team to satisfy really the growing change and the needs that the sport is going to continue to have. I don't think this is it. I don't think Colorado moving to the big 12 
is the final solution for them or for college football. We have a sweet 16 conference. We have an enormous 18 conference. I'm trying to come up with fun names for these new conferences because you have guys, conferences like the Big Ten adding UCLA and USC last summer, and now they're adding Oregon and Washington to the fold. There's a lot of moving parts, and I think it begins with a lack of leadership with the NCAA. They haven't been able to really contain this to what they want. It's the same thing with the NIL. There's not a perfect solution, and they keep trying to push the issue, it feels. And so what I think is necessarily going to happen is we're eventually going to have a world where the NCAA doesn't exist and Power 5 conferences don't exist. We're going to have four central conferences. This is how I would probably see it. If we're going to have all these super conferences, we need to geographically align these schools so we don't have so much confusion. Why does the ACC have a team on the Pacific Coast? Why does the Big Ten really in the Midwest and up in the Northeast have teams on the Pacific Coast with USC and UCLA? Why is the Big 12 getting all these schools from all across? That's really generally in the middle of the country. And I know sometimes with these schools and these conferences, location may not matter, but I think travel is important. What happens to maybe a program that can't afford to travel to 14 games over on the other side of the country. What is the, I just find an example. What is the Boston college women's golf team or men's golf team that may not have the resources of the Boston college football team? What if they have to travel two straight weeks to California or travel to Stanford and have to really, uh, there's a lot, there's a lot going on in my head of a lot of issues the positives, let's talk positive for a second. I think it's great that we're having a bunch of discussion about college football and how it's continuously changing. We're trying to perfect it and make a great product. So that part is fine, and it's really entertaining at very first and foremost. This has become a business, and now it used to be – and the NCAA and college football was riding that line. We talked about that fence earlier. They're riding that line of they weren't necessarily a business – but certainly they marketed it as such. You have these storylines, you have the Heisman, you have things to look forward to, you have all this stuff. And now college football has really blended into what the NFL is. Only the NFL has central leadership with Roger Goodell and the NFL PA. They have this settled because they took their time. And so I think maybe it's not NIL. Maybe this was always destined to happen. But I think that money talks and that money accelerates a lot of decisions that probably would have been made in a more calm and careful approach that has now become a week-long disaster where a conference is basically eviscerated and we're forming new agreements and these alliances and it's just a mess. And that's just my big takeaway from this. And I apologize if that was just a big scramble brain, but oh my gosh, what is happening? There's so much to talk about. And I'm going to try to get a guest on, a college football writer that I'm talking to at the moment that'll explain this much better than I will, but I do have a lot of questions that I want answered. Where is college football headed? What is the future of Power 5 conferences like the ACC where you've got Florida State barking orders last week and saying, we want this, we want that. Clemson and Florida State deserve this. Now the ACC is looking to add California and Stanford as a potential, I don't want to say solution, but an answer to Florida State's questions. Uh, you have the the Pac-4 now, once known as the Pac-12, RIP. What are they going to do? What is their future as a conference? What does the ACC do with basketball schools who may be fine situated in their little place? Um, where is the SEC going to be? Are they going to continue to be that brand? What happens to the, the general 
understanding of power five? What happens to our general understanding of qualifications for the playoff when one conference may not have the mega numbers of, they may not have 18 teams. They may have six. They may have eight. They may have less to sort through when it terms when it comes to terms of scheduling. How do we determine all this? There's a lot of issues that won't get solved immediately. And so as we continue to progress with this conference realignment, I'm very curious to see where's the leadership and where's that central voice that says, this is the solution. These are the answers. Granted, when you have only 32 teams, 30 teams in the NBA, when you got a lot of schools and you are dealing with an entire country of division one, division two, division three, it becomes very difficult to have that central voice. But boy, does the NCAA need it right now more than ever. And with that, we're going to take a short break. When I return on this video, we're going to talk about my favorite storylines to watch for heading into the NFL preseason. This is the Man with the Plan podcast, episode 137. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. Welcome back to the Man with the Plan podcast. My name is Grayson Mann, and now we have some NFL storylines to dive into. So I think that I have, like I had three words for Clemson. I'm going to do three central themes for the NFL preseason. And my first one is offenses returning to form. You have teams like the Denver Broncos and the New England Patriots who one team with the Broncos had lofty expectations. One had popcorn in their hands while they were waiting for the ship to start burning. So with the Broncos, Sean Payton was brought in last this offseason to revitalize the Russell Wilson, not image, but there's a lot of talk this offseason. And he's starting in his the preseason game. Now, he's obviously going to be on a snap count. We're not necessarily sure how that's supposed to look. But I think that if there's a divi- there's a coach to revive such a train wreck from last year, Sean Payton, and he made sure to comment on that train wreck, talking about Nathaniel Hackett doing a terrible job. Um, that did not fly well. Probably put an unnecessary target on the Broncos' back. But I think with Russell Wilson, I think Payton just needs to utilize what made Russell Wilson great in Seattle. Very accurate quarterback, able to make plays, a very creative, on-the-fly, improvisational quarterback. I was very impressed with what Russell Wilson was able to do in Seattle, built that kind of legacy there. It didn't all work out in Denver, but they do always have the pieces to be able to be a competitive football team. They just needed to put it all together. In my mind, they have the quarterback. They have the coach. It's really time to start putting W's on the board and maybe getting a playoff game back in Denver, not now, but in the near future. And that other offense I mentioned, New England Patriots, there's a lot of excitement in their building. I was able to, closely follow their training camp news. Now, like I said, people had popcorn in their hands waiting for a ship to start burning. That was the Matt Patricia-led offense for the New England Patriots. They have Bill O'Brien back in. My big question is, is this hype warranted? This is a division this year with Buffalo, Miami, and New York. New York getting Aaron Rodgers. Miami just getting better with that roster. Bringing guys in like Jalen Ramsey, who New England won't see anymore because of injury. But that Miami roster is continuously getting better. Mike McDaniel was one of my favorite coaches last year, running a really high, highly efficient offense, being able to squeeze all the juices out of Tua, where I wasn't a big Tua guy, but I think he had a pretty solid season. It's just, can he stay on the field? And then you have Buffalo, who's the perennial king of the AFC East now. New England, even if they had made all these improvements, the question is, does it really matter? And I think that's a disappointing question to ask. If you're a New England fan, you can see the hat. But there's a lot of talent in this division, And while New England may have the scheme, 
I don't know if they necessarily have necessarily a lot to overcome what will be big limitations in a division and in a conference where there's you're going to consistently face teams that are just better than you on paper. Can this New England team figure out different ways to win football games like they have in the past? Now, they had Tom Brady on their center when they did that, and sometimes they weren't as talented, but they had the culture, they had the coaches. We'll have to see. Okay, my second storyline. Second, I just had a voice crack there. That's fun. Our second storyline is going to be last shots for quarterbacks. Trey Lance has had some ugly practices in the last two weeks. There was a period where he was only given three throws and did not make the most of them. And Brock Purdy's reportedly taking first-team reps with the San Francisco 49ers coming back from injury much quicker than people anticipated. I'm really excited to see the San Francisco offense, especially in the preseason when you have guys like Trey Lance and Sam Darnold who are really battling for relevance. Trey Lance has had, I think, three or four starts in his career in the NFL, and it really isn't because of his poor play. I think situation, he gets hurt, is not able to start. Brock Purdy comes in and plays really well. They have to ride that ship all the way to the NFC Championship game. So for Trey Lance, it's can he use this preseason to play really well and say, hey, I could be a valuable trade target. I think the same speaks for Stan Darnold, who is coming off another rough stint with Carolina, where I thought he played pretty well to end the year. He's going to an offense in San Francisco that's very quarterback friendly, very much fits his skill set. I think San Francisco is one of my favorite teams to watch this preseason, not because maybe Brock Purdy could lose his job, but because the backups are fighting for something in that system. And then another one is Baker Mayfield. He's listed as the or starter to Kyle Trask in the preseason. He will start game one, much like in Carolina, where he started the first game and Sam Darnold the second, and then they make a decision from there. If you're Baker Mayfield, this is absolutely not a situation you want to be in. I'm a big Baker Mayfield guy. I think that he was dealt a certain hand in Cleveland. He played better than I think people give him credit for, but I also don't think he's one of the top 16 quarterbacks in this league, but I think he's a competent starter on the right offense. I was really excited about him going to Tampa Bay because I still think there's a lot of potential with this offense when you pair him with a 50-50 ball guy like Mike Evans. There's Chris Godwin on that offense. There's a lot of remnants of what Tom Brady was able to bring over there for Baker Mayfield to use, and the results haven't been very promising. He's throwing too many picks. He's been very experimental from what I've read from a couple articles that cover Tampa Bay, and a Kyle Trask guy that really hasn't wowed the Tampa Bay brass in the last couple years. This is not a spot you want to be in if you're Baker Mayfield, especially after having a pretty decent showing in Los Angeles where McVay gave you a chance to succeed. This isn't the nice progression that you wanted to see. You wanted Baker Mayfield to potentially be a bridge quarterback for a couple of years. Maybe Tampa is drafting in the top 15 next year and they want a quarterback, maybe Drake May or a Caleb Williams, who's going to go number one. So maybe not the option for him, but you want to play well enough to be able to prove your value in this league. And I haven't seen it so far. Uh, especially from what I've been reading and what I've been seeing online, especially on Twitter. Those clips from training camp are brutal if you look them up. So he, that's another team of the preseason to watch. Tampa is going to be in an interesting situation if they have to go to Kyle Trask. I still think Mayfield can turn it around. Maybe it's just training camp. He's taking May too many, way too many chances when he gets to an in-game situation. It's a little bit different. We'll just have to see. Uh, this may be Mayfield's last chance here to prove that he can be a consistent starter in this league. Losing out in a quarterback battle, Kyle Trask may not be the option you want to go to 
if you're Baker Mayfield. Okay, my other one, my other storyline, is the rookie quarterbacks. I really am excited to see guys like C.J. Stroud, who plays on Thursday against the Patriots, Bryce Young, who's been my favorite quarterback prospect since he's been drafted. I've seen clips of him on camp. I think he's got excellent touch to the ball, very accurate thrower. I think the size for him really hasn't mattered so far. He's already been named the starter in, I think, a faster time than I thought. I thought maybe it would take a preseason game or two, but he's clearly taken command of this offense and this team. You've seen a lot of positive reports from the Panthers media that Bryce Young has really stepped up not only as a player, but as a leader in such a short amount of time. As for C.J. Stroud, he's got a little bit of a more interesting situation. The Texans have been a literal tire fire for the last couple of years. He's going to be asked to do a lot, probably improvise in a lot of situations at Ohio State. I was watching a film review of his. And a lot of his situations were very perfect. CJ Stroud's one of the more accurate throwers coming out of the NFL draft in recent memory. But a lot of those situations came from clean pockets, standing in the pocket for six seconds. Houston, he's going to have to be making a lot of split decisions with not as much talent, arguably, as he had at Ohio State. He's going to have to make a lot of more things work when things aren't really going his way. So I think if we can start to see that in the preseason, that would be a really interesting development. Another quarterback, Anthony Richardson. Physically, everything you could want in a player, experience-wise, maybe not something I'd enjoy, but I think Gardner Minshew and him are having a very split battle to start training camp. Um, I really want to see how he develops. I would love to see Anthony Richardson sit for a little while because I think he has the chance to be one of the more talented quarterbacks of this group. It's just a matter of timing. I think he – I hate the Josh Allen comparison, but a lot of people are making that one, so I guess I'll bite the bullet on that one for sure. Those are the three quarterbacks I'm really excited to see the most heading into the preseason. And I think once we get into the swing of games and everything like that, we'll do some breakdowns of what they've been playing like, what we've seen. It's going to be a fun preseason. It usually is. We only have three weeks, so it really makes the content a little more crunched down than usual. So it should be really fun. I'm really looking forward to it. And with that... That'll be episode 137 of the Man with the Plan podcast. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in. As always, I really appreciate your time. Drop a comment. Let me know. Did you like my cluster of college football realignment? What do you think about Clemson football heading into 2023? And what is your most anticipated NFL storyline? Guys, if you haven't checked out our Clemson football preview series, previewing every Clemson opponent on their schedule with writers across the country, you can check our playlist in our YouTube channel. Guys, thank you so much as always. Let's reach 30,000 listeners. That's our new goal. Guys, thank you so much. Take care and have an excellent day.